One of the things that I'd been conscious of during worship when we were singing about Holy God was that um, virtually every time that I consider that, I'm thinking, oh God, except for your salvation, there is no hope for me. Because uh, virtually every day there are things that I do that aren't up to the standard of perfection that I would like to live. You know, or I'm quite conscious of doing things that are wrong that I just choose to do anyway. And, you know, but when I stand before God, then it has to be dealt with, right? And thankfully, salvation doesn't start with us, and it isn't with us trying to pick ourselves up, but rather God sending His Son for us and working a way of salvation. So it was interesting to me when Kurt's going through the list. I'm going, oh, man, a double dose. Uh, I've already got that once today. <laughs> but accompanying that is this tremendous relief, joy, whatever, of knowing that this really is secure in him as he has brought that to us. And he desires us to enter into fellowship with him and participate with him. And kind of in approaching the scripture, I have a similar mindset in that I'm well aware that I can give you the details of the story and send you home with a fairly good outline of what took place. But unless we have encounters with the Lord, it just seems like such a waste of time. You know, that it's, it's written for us to be a springboard in our relationship with the Lord, but it's not meant to just gather the facts so that, you know, it's not like one day we're going to stand before God and go, okay, Acts chapter 9, uh, what did it say in the third verse? You know, at least <laughs> if it does, we're in trouble, okay? But uh, no, it's, it's to be taking us somewhere. And what this story, in some ways, the, the Saul's conversion, is a, a case where a man who everyone around him would have said, no way, it's not happening. And yet, God encounters him and transforms him. And, and so, in some ways, there, there opens a door to our thinking to say, who's around me that I would look at and say, no way. And to acknowledge that it's not going to be about me trying to talk them into the kingdom, but really ought to be praying for them to have this encounter that will be transforming. So let's, let's walk through these passages. It says, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there belonging to the way, men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So this guy is living as a zealot, and he's decided these folks are really corrupting what we have in religion. And so his choice now is to move into a persecution that hauls them back to jail. And you can imagine the chaos of families. He's not just taking one, he's taking both. And, and so he's disrupting everything connected to their lives. 
um, a little bit about the man. I just pulled a couple verses out. You know, what he gives us witness in Philippians 3, he says uh, he was born to the tribe of Benjamin. He was raised up in Judaism. Um, in Acts, it also says that he was taught by Gamaliel which was a famous teacher of that day. He'd been born in Tarsus, grew up mainly in Jerusalem. Now, it's interesting that in Acts chapter 5, Gamaliel is the one that stands up when the Sanhedrin, the, the ruling body of the, of the Jewish group, were trying to decide what to do with Peter and, Paul, or Peter and John excuse me, when they had been witnessing, thrown in jail, an angel let them out. They go back to witnessing, and they're going, what are we going to do with these guys? And there's a group saying, just kill them. Kill them. We'll be done. They had the authority to carry it out. They did. Let's just get rid of them. And Gamaliel stands up and says, wait, 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 wait. If this is of human origin, it's going to fall apart. But if it's of God, we're not going to be able to stop it. So he brings a, a voice of moderation, and he brings a, a calming to that. And so this is the one that taught Paul, man of wisdom, a moderate voice, so to speak. But it's intriguing to me, Paul's the one who stood and watched Stephen being put to death. They laid the cloaks at his feet. He's approving of it. He's not necessarily participating, but he's... He's in quiet agreement, at least, right? And it goes from there to participating and saying, okay, these folks have got to go. And it, in this passage, we saw he breathes out murderous threats. Later on, when he's retelling the story in Acts, he says, I was putting people to death. So it's not just talk, but it, it, it actually transpired. So that's the setup for this particular passage. In Acts chapter 9 again, it says, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go to the city and you'll be told what you must do. So he has this amazing experience, does not anticipate it at all. It says that men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see a thing. In this Acts 22 account, it also says the men saw the light, but they didn't, they didn't understand what was going on. They didn't have this, it didn't have the same effect on them. So what we read out of this passage is that Saul is bent on persecuting the church. He's had all the religious training you could ask for. He's made the decision, this is foolishness. And so he's on his way. Bright light shines from heaven. He's knocked to the ground. He can't see when he gets up. And then, you know, he's, he's led by the hand to the village and told... You'll be, you'll be told what to do. He spends three days blind, and he fasts and prays during that time. But he, what strikes me is 
If God wants to get somebody's attention, who's going to stop him? That would wake me up for sure. So when, when we're looking at people in regard to witness, and a lot of times we're looking to, oh, I hope I got the right, you know, I can get in a little jab here and maybe bump this thing forward a bit. Maybe there ought to be more of a, a concern of saying, God, I know you've got something for this person. I know you have a way of breaking through. And, you know, remember this book started with a prayer meeting, right? And so maybe in our lives, we've put way too much energy into the convincing and the reasoning and not enough into the prayer and asking God for transformation and saying, if this person's going to change, only God? So that brings us to an interesting point. Who do you look at and say, that is the last person possible that would ever come to God? I mean, there... I have a cousin who I've talked about before because he irritates me. And, uh, you know, I watched him grow up in church. I watched him get theological degrees, and I've seen him step into profanity where I'm not even sure he believes in God at this point. He does teach religion at a, at a community college. I keep him on Facebook because he hacks me off, and I, I want to see what he's thinking. Uh, that said, he is a lot like a Paul, very well trained, has you know, the, all the education, education needed to be powerful. But he needs an encounter. And rather than staying hacked off and thinking, well, maybe I'll just send a little barb, you know. It, it, God, only God can transform his heart at this point. But God can and does. That's what, that's what we're to gather out of this. And so when we start, <laughs> this last week I had a guy that, you know, I'm talking to and I, I see, oh, here's a chance. And I shove my little barb in and he deflects it quickly. You can tell he's been down this road before. And I'm going, I never did pray with him because there was something I could have been praying for or taking another approach, you know, and I'm just going, too many times. We're trying to get it done just like if we were to try to earn our salvation, it would never happen, right? And what we see in this, this passage is God transforming a heart. And it can happen to anyone. Now, what, what goes on in this story, I want you to, to acknowledge the person of Ananias next. Because here's a saint who has no clue what's going on. And I think 
regularly, that's another thing that I can identify with where I'm looking and I'm looking at this election and going, God, I don't even know if I've heard a true prophetic word. <laughs> There's a lot of blowhards in, in I'm not going to name names, so <laughs> be careful. No, there's a lot of junk being declared, right? Enough so that you're going, I have no clue what's truth anymore in regard to these things. But I'm convinced God has his hand over all things. And in case you're saying, oh, you know, it's good because God's got his control and it doesn't matter what happens, yeah, why don't you read about Baruch and, and Jeremiah when, you know, he's the guy that was faithful, attendant to Jeremiah and doing all that, and, and he's worried about losing everything, and, and finally God gives him a word and says, yeah, you are going to lose everything. You're part of the people, and you're going to be hauled off, but uh, you'll save your life. You know, I don't look forward to days like that, and that's part of the reason I have an interest, a vested interest in what happens to this country. But at the same time, uh, can I give you a word? This is exactly what God's doing. I wish I could. I can't. I haven't heard it. So I'm not about to declare something that I don't know that way. But we have a right to pray for insight and ask and say, Lord, where's your hand in this and what are you doing? And help me to walk in consistency with your choices in this thing. So I'm distracted. Back to Ananias. The details, the, okay. There's a disciple, good thing, a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Yes, Lord. Another good, you know, vision. Oh, good. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man, Tarsus, named Saul, for he's praying. And he's seen a man named Ananias come. And I was going, you sure you want to give him my name? <laughs> it just doesn't sound right. But, uh, and Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man on all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. He's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Now, obviously, when you go to start correcting God about the facts, it's, you're probably on the wrong page, right? But he does have the facts right. That's the amazing thing. I mean, we can be collectors of facts and still not get the story right as to what God's doing. You can gather all kinds of information and really lay out a credible case for him of saying, you know, this, this, and this, yeah, and this, and this, and this, yeah. You know, he's been persecuting people in Jerusalem. He came here with that same, same bent. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely right. I want you to go to his house and pray for him. You know, <laughs> now to his credit, he did it. You know, he, he at least took the, the correction from the Lord and went and did what he's supposed to do. He entered it, he placed his hands and said, Brother Saul. So uh, Ananias has had a conversion moment. <laughs> You know, enemy to brother. J. 
Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me, so you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again, and he got up and was baptized. Ananias said, well, you know, in the other accounting, it says, might as well be baptized. You're, you're good to go. How amazing. You know, it, 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 there's something here, too, that no matter what encounters people have with God, they are still brought into the body of Christ. And even someone like Saul, who had all this training, had all this knowledge, who had an independent conversion experience, what does God do next with him? He leaves him at a point of weakness until he's drawn into the body by another person. He's served by a member of the body of Christ. And so there should be an awareness in us that says nothing is done fully independent. If ever there is a case for an independent person to function by himself and just be me and Jesus, it would have been Paul. But the first thing God does was put a weakness in him that is only healed through a member of the body of Christ. It's, it, it, it's something that should allow us to acknowledge how important it is to have this fellowship ongoing. It says, after taking some food, he regained his strength, spent several days with the disciples. At once he began to preach in the synagogue that Jesus was the Son of God. <laughs> There's another thing that most of us would have done with him. Yeah, you're, you, you, had, you came to the Lord. I believe that. I trust you. You prove yourself for the next six years, and we'll give you a shot. You know? You, you be a good boy for a long while, and, and we'll, let you, we'll lose, let you do some more. It's amazing. This conversion and immediately propelled into activity. Now, did he have things to learn and things to straighten out? Yeah. In fact, you know, I have a verse later. I'm not sure we'll use it. But it, in Galatians, he talks about sequences. And he was three years working in Damascus. He did go to Tarsus for a while. He came back to Damascus. There was another 14-year window when he's out. And then he comes back to Jerusalem to interact with the apostles and, and make sure that everything's on page. But uh, you know what? He, he just... He know he's got it locked in, and off he goes. It says he grew more and more pow powerful, baffled the Jews living in Damascus, proving that Jesus was the Messiah, and not so that they looked to kill him. He learns of their plans, and they, and they took him at night, lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. So the man that was entering with prominence leaves sneaking out at night. So quite a change for lifestyle. But then, um, before we finish this passage, let's look at one more person, and that being the person of Barnabas. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really the disciple. That fear is fair, right? I mean, that's it's a reasoned thing, but it it's inappropriate in this moment. 
And it's one of those things that in, in some ways, as was mentioned earlier, you know, with the Lord, those fears have to be evaluated, right? I mean, you can be a Christian, put your hand on the hot stove, you're still going to get burned. There, there are fears that you need to maintain. But there are fears that need to be abandoned once coming to the Lord. And that He is willing to walk us through and dismiss from our lives. If you're a college kid still sleeping with the light on, you need to let God deal with you. <laughs> Just saying. That one's free. No. <laughs> um, okay, so they're afraid. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. So, Barnabas, you know, in, in chapter 4, he'd been been noted as selling a field, bringing the proceeds to the apostles. His name, son of encouragement. You know, for in that day, it didn't just have the Barnabas sound to them, but it meant something to them, and it meant encouragement. And apparently, that's the the measure of his life. He grew into that role, or maybe that's the name that came as a result of who he was. I don't know. I just, I see him seeing someone who needs to be plugged in and recognizing, I can do this. And being open to the Lord to, to taking care of that. And this isn't the only time that he does that for Paul. In fact, Barnabas goes to a place called Pisidian Antioch, which is out among the Gentiles, and a revival breaks out. Who does he go and get to help him in that, in that thing? Well, I know a guy who's got all the training. He goes and gets Saul. Brings him in and has him help him out. Then later in the 13th chapter, when, when there's a conflap going on in Jerusalem, and they're trying to figure out what to do with the Gentiles, and they say, okay, God's in this, but what do we... Then, then the Holy Spirit says, separate Paul and Barnabas for me. And, and so they're, the, in a sense, the first official missionary sent out that way. Barnabas, in, in that moment, is leading the team, but by the end of the, the trip, it's Paul who's moved into prominence. So his gift has been brought out. It outshines the others, but it's still... It was connected and brought into flourishing through those that God had seen fit to use within the body of Christ. Yeah, I guess I've done enough. The church grew, did well. Um, end of the story uh, for that portion. When we... When we walk back through this, let's just acknowledge, and as has already been prayed this morning, interesting enough, who does God want us to be praying for that we look at and say, well, they've refused this so many times, or they've done this, or they've, they have a past, you know, or, you know, they've, they were trained in it, they abandoned it, now there's no hope. 
nonsense. Who needs an encounter? And who should we praying that would encounter the Lord? Besides us. <laughs> I mean, I always want that. And then who in a case like Ananias when maybe we need a little clearer understanding of what God's really doing in the moment? You know, to just say, I want to know what you're what your hand's about. I want to see what, what you're doing, and I, and I want to participate. And so when we hear of something taking place, we don't have to just go, oh, them. You know, I've, I've got the facts on them, but rather just say, God, what, what, what's your intent? What do you desire? And maybe we draw somebody in that's had an encounter that, really won't fit in the moment, but still is, it's completely appropriate for it. Or maybe too, like the Barnabas, we can look around and give a word of encouragement that will be life-giving and maybe propel someone to something that will far outshine us. You know, Paul, we, we acknowledge now easily, he was the theologian of the New Testament, Right? He had all the appropriate training to put it all together. The apostles, by and large, didn't have enough base to really put it together the way that Paul did. So when God saw it appropriate to bring in a theologian, he said, this thing's been going, and you know, there's a lot, but they need some help here. Then he snags Saul and says, okay, yeah, enough of this now. And of course, with him having lived through the, the other side of it, of having put people to death and having, there wouldn't have been that offense rising up in him all the time when, when things went sour because of someone else. You know, he would, you know, when somebody's trying to put him to death, oh yeah, I've been there, done that. Lord, if you see fit to me to live, I know I'll get through this too. You know, he, he wasn't rattled by such things because he had already been there. Incredible. Well, Lord, these, this is a wonderful story. <laughs> and we've, we've read the facts, but now give us the encounter, we pray. Stir our hearts in such a way that we see the lost as you see them. And we ask for that they find encounters in you and that we be diligent in drawing them into the body as you desire, and we encourage them in all that needs to happen. Amen. You know, maybe this morning when Kurt was going through that list, you were able to just check off each one. Been there, done that one, done that one, done that one, done that one. Jesus Christ will set you free of all of that. If you embrace his salvation, Acknowledge his sacrifice for your life. You have opportunity to have a life in the Spirit that is vibrant and vital in the Lord. So I, I just encourage you, now's the day of salvation. If that's where you're at. Or maybe you walked in and said, well, uh, <laughs> I have no clue what's going on, God, but I sure need something then, Lord, we pray that that will be yours this morning, an encounter, so to speak, that 
liberates and sets you free, revitalizes. We all need that on a regular basis, and yet it's given to us, thankfully.